actually beginning this chapter. Uh, it's a blessing as we uh, work through Acts. I've said it before, but it is one of my favorite books, and probably my favorite book in the New Testament. And uh, it's all the things God does here in Acts. A great change was about to take place, as we will see tonight, in the propagation of the gospel. Before this, even Jesus himself said in Matthew 15, 24, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, the Gentiles were not yet seen as recipients to the grace of God, but all of this is about to change. And I want to read, starting at verse number 1, and we're going to do a little bit of reading tonight, go all the way through verse 16, and then we'll make some comments on the scriptures we read here. Acts 10, verse 1, the Bible says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. When he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, and he shall tell thee what thou oughtest do. When the angel which spoke unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them which waited on him continually. When he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up into the housetop to pray upon the, about the sixth hour. He became very hungry, would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open in a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. There came to him, or there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And a voice spake unto him a sec second time, What God hath cleansed, thou call that call thou I couldn't make, say this today either when I was reading it. That call not thou uncommon. There we go. Say that ten times in a row. Oh, verse 16, this was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Father, I pray you'd help us in these few minutes together. May we see something in your word that be a special help to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We see, first of all, here this heavenly visitor to Cornelius. He was a, a Gentile. Uh, Roman, uh, a, uh, he was a, uh, of the, of, from Caesarea. He was a centurion. If you remember, the first Gentile that Jesus dealt with in his public ministry was also a Roman centurion, and Jesus commended his faith. Now, a Roman band, which is spoken about here, consisted of 600 men, uh, was the 10th part of a legion. Each company of 100 men was ruled or commanded by a centurion. Uh, these were tough-minded, iron-disciplined type of men, well-trained, brave-hearted men. The Italian band here would have been a band obviously found in Italy, and so Cornelius was in charge of that. Now, the Bible also says that he feared God, so Cornelius was a God-fearing man. It means he was one of the Gentiles that was attracted to the moral and the spiritual aspects of Judaism. Uh, he believed in the one and true God. Now, many of uh, people would attend the synagogue, 
Uh, some of them would learn the scriptures. Uh, I'm talking about Gentiles now. Uh, even observe the Sabbath, some of them. Uh, they would even, to some extent, uh, the Jewish dietary laws, they usually drew the line at circumcision, baptism, and sacrifice. Uh, but the Holy Spirit tells us three different things about this man here, this centurion called Cornelius. It mentions his faith. It says he was a devout man and one that feared God. Cornelius lived up to the light that he had in his life. When more light was given, he instantly obeyed that. It's a principle that I believe is very true in our life. Light obeyed increases light. Light disobeyed increases darkness. If you want to know more about what God has for you, you obey in what you know, and you'll get the next step. The Bible says the Word of God is a lamp unto my feet. What does a lamp do? Now, we don't tie lamps to our feet anymore because we have cell phones. They have camera lights on them, so we are able to see a couple of feet down the, down the path. But uh, they would have a light on their feet, and they would see each step lighted up. And a lot of times that's the way the Word of God is. But we need to obey in the light that we have. And uh, he did not know Christ yet, but he feared God. He did not yet know the Holy Spirit, but it blesses my soul that the Holy Spirit knew about him. And he was going to bring the light of the gospel to Cornelius. So it mentions his faith. It mentions his family. He said he feared God with all his house. This veteran soldier brought his family into the faith of the living God. Not for them uh, it was the pagan gods of Greece and Rome. They were going to honor the Lord the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it mentions his faith, his family, but also his fervor. Look, at it says here, he gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Now, J James chapter 2, verse 26 says, Faith without works is dead. Uh, this man proved his faith to, in God by his works toward man. Cornelius was generous in his acts of charity to the poor and to the needy. Add to that, there was a disciplined, uh, devotional life as well that he adhered to. Regular prayer to the living God of Israel. So, the ninth hour, the Bible tells us here, is about three o'clock in the afternoon. Happens to be the very hour that Jesus died year, uh, years earlier. It was the time of the evening sacrifice. It was the hour for public prayer at the temple. The angel came and appeared to Cornelius and obviously frightened him. But his alarm was immediately stilled. The angel knew his name. The angel knew about his spiritual desire. The angel tells him that his prayers had been answered. He tells him, now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner. Now, the Lord knew all about Peter, too. Amen. Uh, the angel gave Cornelius exact instructions on how to find him. God doesn't forget your name. God doesn't forget your address. He knows where you're at all the time. Uh, there's something comforting to God's people in the fact that God knows where we are and what we are doing. The one who knows, made, and named the hundred billion stars in the universe and all the galaxies that uh, we haven't even discovered yet, he knows every speck of dust in the, no in the, in the cosmic space, and yet he knows all about me. And he needs all about you as well. He knows exactly where to find us any time that he wants us. He knows how to send people across our path. Uh, There's a great truth in the book of Acts that we see how over and over God knows uh, where to find people that are seeking him. He, when he sees an Ethiopian 
traveling away from Jerusalem with a great longing in his soul, he knows where Philip lives. When he sees a blind Saul of Tarsus on the street called Straight, he knows where Ananias lives. When he sees a good but still unsaved Roman centurion in need of the gospel, he knows Peter's address. Amen? God can get the gospel to those who are seeking it, and he wants to use you to do it. Let's be faithful in it. Let's be obedient. So the angel gave Peter's name and address. It was like, a, like you do a, a contact share on your phone. So the angel contact shared Peter's information uh, to Cornelius and uh, says, go and send for him. He will tell thee what thou oughtest do. Can I tell you tonight that God has not given the ministry of reconciliation to angels. He's given it to you and he's given it to me. God has called uh, the work of the gospel has been entrusted to men not to angels. The testimony of a believer is this, I was once lost like you, but one day Jesus saved me. An angel cannot say that. Only the redeemed can. And so here the angel then, which spoke to Cornelius, was departed. Uh, the Bible talks about how he got two servants and a soldier. Uh, he briefed them for this special mission. I like the word that's used here uh, when, the, when Cornelius is telling them about what happened. It says he declared all these things. The word is exegeomai. Uh, it, we get our word exegesis from this word. It means to unfold a teaching or to expound a truth. It's the word that John used to describe the Lord's mission on earth. John 1.18, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is at the bosom of the Father, yet declared or exegeomai him. Uh, this is what Jesus did as well. Now, Cornelius here is careful to tell his messengers exactly what happened and why Peter was needed and uh, sent them on their way. Now, the scene shifts and we come to Peter. There's also a heavenly vision for Peter, verses 9 through 10. It was noon. Peter moved to the flat roof of his host's home to enjoy a few minutes of quiet while presumably the meal was being prepared downstairs. He was praying to his Lord in heaven. It was lunchtime. <laughs> Peter was Baptist. We can see it, what it says here, uh, that he wanted to eat. Amen? That's what Baptists do. They eat. Uh, yes, it was also prayer time, but Peter, all he could think about was his need and desire to eat. Now, while he's waiting for the food to pre be prepared, he tries to focus his minds and thoughts to prayer. It's interesting that, uh, to see how God works in the affairs of men here. Uh, Peter was thinking about food, and guess what God's going to use to bring a vision to him? Food. <laughs> uh, he's not upset by Peter's needs. He uses this as a basis of his revelation. Look at what happened. Verse 11, And saw the heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending upon him as it had been a great sheet, knit at the four corners and let down on the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts and creeping things and the fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him that said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. This is the first and only floating buffet I've ever seen. It came down out of heaven. A big old buffet, clean and unclean, all mixed together. Then a voice came that commanded Peter to his great astonishment, eat. Now, this is the last thing Peter ever expected to hear because you had unclean animals on that sheet. It seemed to him and all of his Jewish prejudices that he had that this was more of a nightmare than a vision. He recoiled in horror at the thought of eating 
unclean animals which were before him. So we see the command, but within Peter there was a great conflict. Look what the Bible says in verse 14, but Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spoke unto him a second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou uncommon. Now there was a tremendous struggle taking place in Peter's soul. He had a religious prejudice. We're talking about a lifetime of training ingrained in him that screamed against everything this vision's telling him. You can't eat unclean animals. So Peter, as always, blurted out his mind, whatever was on his mind, and he said, not so, Lord. Can you imagine? Uh Uh-uh. God, obviously, you've made a mistake. Good thing I'm here, because I can point it out. Right? He says, not so, Lord. Now, (coughs) this is a contradiction in terms. You cannot say these three words without contradicting yourself. Not so, Lord. Uh, it's either not so or it's Lord. It cannot be not so, Lord. All right, It's got to be one of the two. What you need to do, uh, you can either do it, uh, it actually with a pen or you can do it in your mind, but what we need to do is we need to write those words down, not so, Lord, and then we need to either cross out the not so and say Lord, or we need to cross out the Lord and say not so. But you can't say not so, Lord. That's what Peter said. It's a contradiction. But we live our lives, and many Christians live their lives exactly like this. Oh, I call you Lord. I'm serving the Lord. I'm doing what he... But then God tells us to do, do something, be faithful in church, or do whatever, and eh, not going to do that. He's, he's either Lord, or he's not so. He can't be not so and Lord at the same time. Okay, so let's remember that. You can't have it both ways. So Peter was told clearly not to label common that which God had cleansed. And Peter had to learn the ritual law of the Old Testament was no longer binding. Some of his attitudes would have to change. So you had the command, you had the conflict. Now there's confirmation. Verse 16, this was done thrice. The vessel was received up again into heaven. I think I might have mentioned this before, but it's interesting looking at Peter's life. His life is defined in threes. Have you ever noticed that about Peter? Uh, Everything about Peter is threes. Three times uh, he disagreed with Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16, you remember the story. Jesus is telling them how he has to go to Jerusalem. He's going to die in Jerusalem. Peter says, oh, 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 Lord, no, no, no. You are mistaken. Good thing I'm here to set you straight. He disagreed with Jesus. You're not going to die. Second time, we see in the upper room, Jesus is talking to them, and, and he tells them, tonight all of you will forsake me. Ah, 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 no, 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 Lord, maybe they will. All these jokers might leave you, but I'll never leave you. I'll die with you, disagreed with Jesus. He disagreed here when God, uh, in our text, when he says, rise and eat, he says, not so, Lord, disagreed with Jesus three times. He denied Jesus. How many times? Three times. Uh, he departed three times. Three times. He went uh, back to fishing. In John chapter 1, when he's first introduced to Jesus, he must have followed Jesus for a time. But when Jesus went up and uh, went north uh, into Nazareth, we find again in Luke 5, he's fishing again. That's when Jesus comes to him and tells him to follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, He forsook Jesus there. Uh, He forsook Jesus at the crucifixion. Then again in Luke chapter 21, when he goes back to fishing, he says the words again, I go a fishing. We find him in Luke 21 fishing at night. You don't fish recreationally at night. That's business. He's going back to his old life. So to review, he 
Three times he disagreed. Three times he denied. Three times he departed. Three times he heard the question from Jesus, do you love me? A lot of things happen in Peter's life in threes. Now here, there's a threefold reception, a repetition of the words, what God hath cleansed, thou that call not thou common. Evidently, Calvary's cleansing power extended a little further than Peter had dreamed it would. He- heaven was going to have a lot more people in it than Peter's narrow views was going to allow for. It's a good thing for us to remember that too. And that uh, we sometimes decide in our own minds who's going to heaven and who's not going to heaven. But for the moment, Peter was confused. He had doubts. Verse 17, now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean. Now he's wide awake now. Above him, the sun shines down. In front of him, he sees the Mediterranean Sea stretching out to the west and toward the Gentile nations. Below him, he can hear the sounds of the men busy at their trade. He was at the tanner's house. From the kitchen, he might have smelled the food cooking. But Peter's mind is on this vision, and he's doubting. He's confused. Remember, this is a lifetime of training being upset, much like Paul uh, we saw, or, or Saul at this time, on the Damascus Road. In an instant, he had to realize that everything he believed up to this point was wrong. All kinds of creatures, clean and unclean, now they're all declared clean. What could that mean? Uh, obviously, there's a big change taking place in Levitical law here. And so Peter doubted in himself, the Bible says. How many times in the Lord's work do we find ourselves in the same place? God, you can't mean that. (laughs) Surely you've got to be mistaken. Not so, Lord. How many times have we said that in our life? Then we find in verses 17 through 23, men are at the gate calling his name. Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before at the gate. By the way, how many men? Three men. (laughs) Let's find that interesting. And called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men ask thee, or seek thee. Arise, therefore, get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing. Isn't that interesting? What did the Bible say that was happening in verse 17? Peter doubted in himself. And then the angel says, Doubt, doubting nothing. Boy, God knows our weaknesses, doesn't he? God knows where we're doubting. He knows our discouragements and, and the problems that we have. So these three men were there calling his name and then Peter goes down to the men which were sent to him from Cornelius verse 21 and said behold I am he whom ye seek what is the cause wherefore ye are come and they said Cornelius the centurion a just man and one that feareth God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee then called he them in and lodged them one can imagine the anxiety in the house of Simon when his wife went to the door and saw these three strangers. Two of them were obviously Romans. One of them was a soldier. Roman soldiers don't visit Jewish homes. Uh, They don't typically come in and have dinner with you either, but that's what happened. Peter hurried downstairs. Now, uh, we we see from just uh, history and things that the stairs were probably on the outside of the home, and so Peter would have went up stairs. He came down on the outside of the house. He put everyone's mind at ease. Hey, uh, God's at work here. And the, the Holy Spirit had already told him to go with these men, doubting nothing. I don't know, the vision probably was starting to dawn on him already. 
the number three connected with these uh, three men again. Uh, number three on the sheets coming down and match the number of the Gentiles at the door. I think you realize the vision had something to do with the Gentiles. The unclean animals on the sheet also pointed to the Gentiles because the Jews saw the Gentiles as unclean, just like they saw the animals as unclean. So they, the fact that the, they were called clean, maybe the Gentiles now were in a different uh, category as well. No discrimination. All caught up together into the clouds, all called or declared clean by God. Starting to sink in on Peter. The sheet must represent the church. Now, Paul, turn, turn your Bible, by the way, to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read some verses over here. Ephesians chapter 2. Because Paul tells us that he had no monopoly on church truth. It was revealed to the apostles and New Testament prophets. Ephesians 3, 5 tells us, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. It is clear to Peter that God is calling out both Jews and Gentiles. Look at verse, Ephesians 2, starting at verse number 11. The Bible says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Amen. Hallelujah for that verse. That's you and that's me. We were at one time of no hope. One time we were far off. Now we are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Praise the Lord for the inclusion. Obviously the vision here of the sheet uh, was talking about the differences between Jew and Gentile and that they no longer existed. How much of that that Peter grasped at that time is difficult to say, but we see uh, he eventually gets it. And uh, it, it's, again, we have to remember, uh, you know, we, we look at these truths and, and we don't hesitate or blink an eye in the fact that, of course, God saves Jew and Gentile alike. But this is a big change in their thinking. This revolutionizes everything they've ever been taught. And so we have to have a little patience in, in uh, these changes that was taking place. Jesus Christ, though, is the focus of this whole story. His glorious gift of salvation made available for all men. Amen. Now, later, Peter's going to write in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Uh, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all men, I don't know, does all include Gentiles? Ah, I think so. All includes Jews, even Amish. Amish people aren't Gentile or Jews. You just ask them, they'll tell you. They're not either one. They're something extra. So it includes all of them, doesn't it? Everybody, all should come to repentance. The story of Cornelius and Peter shows the bringing together of Christ, uh, by Christ, uh, in Christ, of these two peoples. That of devout paganism and faithful Judaism. And uh, it's a blessing because uh, I'm, I'm grateful. We can all be grateful tonight that this happened because uh, most of us, if not all of us in here, are Gentiles. And so the gospel did uh, extend to us, praise the Lord. 
Now, in response to the Holy Spirit, Peter hurries down. He grabs his visitors. He brings them into his, the house as guests. His prejudices are disappearing pretty fast here. We see now that, uh, by, by the way, anybody who's been a guest in anyone's home, you know that kind of awkwardness as you come in. Imagine how the Romans felt going into a Jewish home. Imagine how these Jews felt having Romans come in. Yet they all sat down together to a meal. At first, the conversation would have been formal. <laughs> the weather, each other's health, you know, talking about uh, how the Packers were doing. I don't know. You know, it would have been just a formal kind of conversation. Gradually, they would relax and the talk would ease and Peter was starting to make some new friends here. So overnight accommodations were made and they stayed uh, until the next day. Then we see his caution. Verse 23, look with me. In the, on the morrow, Peter went away with them, and certain men from Joppa accompanied him. It was quite a group that set out for this 30-mile trip to Caesarea the next day. There were the three Gentiles, there was Peter, and then there were some believers from the church in Joppa. I think this was a very wise move on Peter's part here. Not, not only was he probably a little wary, but to take these witnesses along, because he knew, and it eventually happened, that his fellowship with Gentiles, this was very unprecedented, and he's going to have some questions to answer. So it's good to have some witnesses along. And so he took some people with him. What a trip that must have been. Think about the conversation they were having. This was new. I mean, the gospel coming to a Gentile. Look at verse 24. And on the morrow, after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and called together his kinsmen and near friends. Caesarea, that very name conjures up the thoughts of the imperial Caesar. This was the world that the Jews hated. As Peter entered the city, he was entering a world that was far removed from what he was used to. Now, in the meantime, Cornelius has been busy. He had rounded up his family and his friends. He's waiting for this guy to show up. Here's an unsaved man. He's a God-fearing man, but he's an unsaved man organizing a revival service for the evangelist coming from a different town. You don't see anything like this normally. I mean, here he is preparing for a church service, gathering these people together for this mysterious Simon Peter that the angel told him about. Soon a lookout said, they're coming, I can see them. I see our men, some Jews coming with them. And Cornelius came out to greet his guests. You want to know what happens next? Got to come back. Next week, amen. We'll learn more about them. We'll see what happens at this meeting. Uh, you know what? It's okay in this class for you to read forward in your textbook. So you're allowed to do that in our class this evening. But uh, I love this. I, just, I, I try to put myself in Peter's place because we sometimes read these Bible stories and we don't understand the tremendous mind change that was going on in Peter's Heart here, this was huge. This isn't just some another day of the week for him. The fact that for centuries and centuries, this is an unclean animal. Now God says it's clean now. I got to think bacon was on that sheet. Amen? Amen. And it's clean now. Now you can eat it. You, you just, I, I've been in a, a time in my life when we got saved, uh, when, when you had a, just a, this, this mind game of everything changing. I mean, in our situation, it was electricity. Cars were the ultimate evil. 
And all of a sudden, it's okay. It's no longer evil. God called it clean. Amen. I'm glad he did. Grateful for those things. And here, Peter, he's going through a big change. So if he seems reluctant, if it seems difficult, let's give them a little grace. I'm grateful God did. I'm grateful God does the same for us as well. Father, we thank you for this, uh, this illustration in your word. Thank you for the things we can learn from it and take